0: One of the benefits of product is that you don't have to be an industry expert. It's really great when product managers come into a new industry, bring the skills of being a product manager and all of that questioning and understanding problems and bringing people together to find solutions and not having the kind of baggage of being in an industry for a really long time. So I think that's a great benefit. But actually, when you get to CPO level, the main task that you have really is to see the future of the business. And you're not going to get that from inside the business.
1: Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast.
2: Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Welcome to a special episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I'm a huge advocate of the chief product officer role. When I was helping companies find chief product officers for their teams, I saw that we had such a lack of great experienced CPOs out there, but we had excellent product leaders who just needed a little bit of help to make it to the C-suite. So I created a program for them called CPO Accelerator a couple years ago to help these leaders make the jump. And so far, we've had over 120 people go through the program, and a lot of people have made this leap now. So we're gonna talk to three of our graduates today who recently got promoted to chief product officer to hear their advice and their stories to help some of you set out on this path to become CPOs and enter the C-suite.
0: I'm
3: Amy Carmichael and I'm the chief product officer at Crowdcube. Hi, I am John Martin and I am the chief product officer at Housecall Pro.
1: Hi, I am Simone Dive.
2: I work as the chief product officer at Clear Renewables. Amy, John, and Simone came to product from very different backgrounds, but they all rose up the ranks to become the top product person.
0: Yes, like a lot of people, I think my journey into product management was a meandering one. I started off actually in in the kind of arts and museums. So yeah, started there, started learning about product management and trying to implement some of the tools of product management in this production company. and then And then moved on to work in a museum who were kind of beginning to explore product management as an industry um, and then gradually got more frustrated with you know working in a public institution with a lot of hierarchy and a lot of history so then went to work in a small startup and did various product jobs and then on to kind of more enterprise roles and then ended up at Crowdcube which is kind of this lovely medium between a startup and an enterprise company where a kind of high growth period and it's
3: been super exciting. It has been a long and winding road. I was right out of college. I did a couple of years in nonprofit roles. I was a teacher and worked for international health organization and then went to graduate school. And when I was in graduate school, it was actually a master of divinity. And so pretty late in my career, I moved into product manager role and it was a team leadership role, as well as me learning how to do the job. And so as I've often said that I kind of knew how to do half of the job, which was identifying problems, understanding markets, understanding customers, but I had no idea how to do the other part of the job, which is making solutions, designing them, building the software, rolling it out and testing it. So I was learning on the fly and was kind of... Both, uh, I think I was a senior director at the time and trying to build out a team. We ultimately built a team of four squads, but also was treating myself like an associate product manager and learning even just the vocabulary of technology and all of the agile ceremonies and how it all worked at the same time as trying to lead a strategic direction there.
1: I got into this racket, I don't know, <laughs> but I got into this actually by teaching myself how to code because I really got into it designing websites back in the day when there was like very strange job titles and everything. I did that for a bunch of years and I really, it was at the point where everything was very technology driven, but I kind of thought that there was a better way. And I got really obsessed with user experience and user-centered design when that was actually coming kind of the early days, I guess. And so I ended up shifting my career into user experience and worked in gambling, doing UX and moved roles into innovation and more into strategy for companies. And then that led me into product. Like, I kind of feel like I've always been someone to be like, when I was coding websites, it's kind of like, yeah, but why am I building it like this, you know? And then I start designing. I'm like, yeah, but why am I actually designing it like this?
2: All of our CPOs started this role within the last two years. So I thought it would be great to reflect on what they found most surprising when they stepped into the role, since it's still fresh. For Simone, it was a human element. I would say even for some of our exec conversations
1: that we have, even at at clear, sometimes like 50% of the conversation would be around the people aspect of the business. So I thought that was really interesting. I, I guess I thought that the exec members are sitting there and just like dollars and sensing it all the time, which obviously is a huge part of the exec team as well. But there's actually a massive, massive aspect of the
2: people and human element, which I actually quite enjoy. For Amy, it was finding time for strategy. Something we hear is a struggle for a lot of people on our Dear Melissa segments. I think probably
0: the most surprising thing about being in that chief product officer role was the amount of time it takes to think about strategy, to think about the future and to kind of put together a vision and and a strategy and, and also how continuous that job is. So I kind of had this picture of you'd work on it and there it is, it's done. And actually, it's a continuous process that you're constantly learning and iterating on. And really just the amount of space you need to be able to do that. And also what a difference it makes when you do have the space to do that. Everything within your kind of product team starts kind of making sense as a whole. And everybody is really all pulling in the same direction. And it it makes an awful lot of difference. But it's a big time commitment. And it's very difficult to do alongside all of the other things that you're trying to do, which you quite often are in a smaller company. So yeah, definitely a challenge, but really amazing to have that time to do it and see the impact that it's having.
2: And then for John, it was about going to market.
3: You know, as a team lead, I was really laser focused on what is this customer outcome we're trying to drive? What's the design to meet that customer outcome? What's the business value that we're going to drive from that and how to test? And then in the Sup, and then moving into the chief product role, it's been surprising how much I've needed to think about, well, how do you best go to market across this whole portfolio of products? You know, I spent the first year and a half building this team at Housecall Pro. We went from two squads when I started and we have 22 squads right now. So it's been this amazing trajectory of growth and we've built all of these amazing products And now we're in this good problem, which is how do you bring all of those to a customer base that is kind of reluctant to change? These are plumbers and electricians and HVAC providers who aren't waking up thinking about their software every day. They're waking up thinking about how to how to make some money, how to do some jobs. And we're now have 22 squads worth of feature development that we're super excited to give them. And we need to now make it so that it doesn't overwhelm them so that they can incorporate it into their workflow in an, in an easy way. And then we can meter out our revenue from them. Because if we are, we're releasing three different revenue generating products, they're not all going to get adopted all at the same time. So I think the surprising thing has been to strategize the go-to-market side of it as much as the fulfilling the customer outcomes that we're trying to, for our pros.
2: Now, in order to make this jump successfully, we know that people need to hone their skills. But how do you know which skills you'll need when you're moving up the ladder? Since the job of a VP and a CPO, they're very different. One piece that made a difference for Amy was the financial skills. So on the one hand, me personally, what, you know, coming to a, a CPO role,
0: certainly from a, an arts background and a kind of more business and psychology background, what I was missing really was the the kind of financial language and the kind of confidence there obviously being a product manager is great preparation I think for being an executive of any kind actually not everybody's jobs require them to think of these things as their day-to-day you know people management understanding finances and return on investment you know thinking about strategy I think product managers have to do that really early on in their career so that was great experience in the lead-up to it but for me it was about honing those skills identifying where I had gaps and really making sure that I went out and tried to fill them. And I think, again, the the CPI Accelerator course really helped with that and gave me the kind of confidence in the vocabulary to talk about it with my peers. In terms of skills and the kind of difference between being that kind of head of VP level, that VP level is very much about taking that step on from product management and really honing your skills within a product to looking, obviously, across product, but also people management empowering teams, putting the right structure in place, the right tools in place. The step on to be CPO was really all about the bigger picture and how the products and how Crowdcube fits into a much wider picture. And I actually got some really great feedback from the CEO kind of early on in my product leadership career at Crowdcube. And it was to really understand the industry that we worked in. One of the benefits of product is that you don't have to be an industry expert. It's really great when product managers come into a new industry, bring the skills of being a product manager and all of that questioning and understanding problems and bringing people together to find solutions and not having the kind of baggage of being in an industry for a really long time. So I think that's a great benefit. But actually, when you get to CPO level, the main task that you have really is to see the future of the business. And you're not going to get that from inside the business. It was about looking outside, understanding the industry as a whole and where we fit into the kind of ecosystem of retail investment, even of decentralized ownership and Web3, you know, thinking way beyond what we were doing already in the product and what our customers were asking for directly and seeing how we might fit into a much bigger picture. And that I think is the biggest change that It's not just about your team within the business, but how the business fits into that wider ecosystem.
2: But some people come to the table with financial skills already, like Simone. Honestly, well, I feel really
1: lucky. I came from uh, my time when I worked in gambling. We had really strong financial disciplines and things like that in the company. And I feel really grateful to have had that experience because I find even though I've had that experience, I still think finance is like one of the biggest disciplines that Every single CPO needs to like know, and every single company does it differently, is what I've found. Actually, even like moving, I I worked in uh, gambling for a decade in the same company, and then moved into another organization at Pay by Phone, the one before Clear, and now at Clear. And I guess like when you obviously because I worked in an organization for so long, you're so used to how it's done, and then when you're actually moving, it's like this whole ramp up that you really need to do about how their financial practices work and all that type of stuff. And I think that is like super critical for the CPO to be able to challenge, to be able to
2: improve it, interpret it to your team, all that type of stuff. And while these hard skills are absolutely essential, John found that his biggest skill he needed to hone before the leap that paid off the most was learning how to invest in people.
3: So it's interesting. I mentioned I went to divinity school and was, you know, at one point in my life thinking there was uh, potentially a minister role in my future which was not the case and it's this is a better spot for me to be in but the people side of it is i have to rely on my people skills all the time to help new people who we've hired come in and really understand the business understand them so that i know that i can help them sidestep any problems that you know their particular personality might run into and just working one-on-one and making sure that everybody's got a really clear trajectory. In this market, product managers and product leaders are incredibly sought after. So I've leaned into being someone who cares quite a lot about our people, and they know that, I think, I hope. And so it's another way of keeping your best folks is to make sure that you're really invested in them. And so that's been a skill, a strategy that I've leaned into a lot. The other one is recruiting. In my role, I hired, I think I've hired 50 people in the last year and a half. And that's, you just have to get really good at closing people and really good at painting a picture of how this role is going to be transformative for them and their career and what they're interested in. And, you know, don't close everyone, but that's a skill that's, there's nobody else to do that for you, except for you in this role.
2: One of the hardest parts for new product leaders becoming a CPO is seeing themselves as part of the executive team and making sure that they build those relationships with their peers. I wanted to hear what these three CPOs had to say about how they foster connection and collaboration with their new executive teams.
0: Yeah, I think to get off on the right foot within the business, it's about building those relationships. It's about building the relationships with the executive team and also with the wider business. And I think trying to understand the business from a wider point of view, so meeting up with other people within the industry and trying to learn very specifically. I mean, for me, it was learning a lot about how capital markets work, for example, and I relied hugely on the legal team and on our commercial team to teach me. So it was very much kind of relying on people within the business with that expertise so that I could learn. But obviously, the benefit of that is that you also build relationships so that you've got that kind of mutual understanding of where you're coming from and the goals that each of those departments has. So really, it it was trying to kind of fill the gaps of my knowledge, but doing that by building relationships with people that were experts in that area.
1: And I found that incredibly useful. Naturally, like I love people, I love understanding them. I love getting them, I guess. And I'm a very curious person. So I think kind of that mixed with the fact that I have my own (laughs) focus and goal, which is like, I need to understand like what's important to you so I can do my job more effectively. And then actually just building those relationships one-on-one. So many people wait for the meeting to happen, I guess. And a lot of the stuff that happens in the business is out of the meeting. You know, you kind of want to go to the meeting with everyone already aligned. And when that doesn't happen and maybe... You know, I've, I've missed an opportunity, say, with one of the exec members and they have been missed out on me doing that one-on-one engagement. Often it's it's bad meeting, in all honesty. So I really, like in the early days, kind of nurtured those relationships on a one-on-one basis and listened, really. I didn't know anything when you're starting in a company, right? And to like come in and think that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it my way and I'm not going to listen to anyone. I think it's just like a recipe for disaster. If you're actually listening to each of the exec members and then kind of using their words to then articulate what your direction is and what you want to be doing in the company, I feel like you're going to be way better off. You be really will. And I don't know. I think another thing with building those relationships with executives is like, don't be scared. I don't know. Like a lot of people are scared to talk to the CEO. It's like, oh my God, it's the CEO or the chief revenue officer or the CTO or whoever, but they're people. They're people that are also got the same focus about driving this business that you have. So, I mean, if you can come and be prepared and be curious and ask really good questions, it's only going to be a net benefit for you.
3: We have a really interesting executive team where there are five co-founders. Four of them are on the executive team. Two of them are the co-CTOs. So my peers on the CTO side and president and head of our community and external facing folks. So... I spent the most time with the co-CTOs as we were figuring out how to scale up both the product and design org and the engineering org at the same time. We had to stay in really close communication with each other, and we've now expanded that engineering leadership group, so I spend most of my time with them. And it was a lot of really getting to know the history of the company. So the company had started in 2014, and I came in in 2020. They had been through the trials and tribulations of startup world. And I was coming in kind of at this moment where we were moving into scale-up mode. And it helped that I knew the industry and the customer really well. So I had a lot of context on what their journey... I knew the company, you know, even when I was at Home Advisor, But it was a lot of listening to what was their experience like in these early days, because it was such a... I felt like it was really necessary for me to really understand what the ups and downs were like on the early days before trying to come in and say okay, here's now how we're going to do product and design, because what was needed was us to prepare to scale up. But that was a very different way of doing it than had been in place before. So it was a a lot of really understanding all the really good reasons why we had gotten to the place where we were today. And I think in artfully on my part, in many ways, trying to explain why we had to move into this other direction instead of staying the way that we, we were working on things.
2: While working with executives is definitely one key to success for being a great chief product officer, I also want to learn their advice for what people in individual contributor roles could do now to prepare for the C suite. I feel like
0: it's so great that product managers can progress along that course, but there is a point at which people management becomes part of that role. If you see VP or CPO, on your trajectory I think people management has to be part of that and there are ways to do that we're kind of going through a calibration phase in Crowdcube and it's kind of we're we're having these conversations about what you do when maybe there's not that opportunity within the business there is always ways of finding those opportunities whether that's reaching out and mentoring people creating networks outside of the business but also learning from managers within the business about how that might happen and and seeing what you can take on as a kind of mentorship role, even if it's not line management. But I think ultimately line management teaches you so much. And I think it's really important. And obviously there's a limit, but I do feel like really understanding the business and understanding the challenges within the product is great experience and great preparation for taking on a leadership role. And I think, even if you're practicing, even if you end up doing a leadership role outside of the company that you're in right now, a lot of what I felt I was doing in previous roles was kind of having a go in my own head, you know, what do I think are the key strategic things we should be focusing on? And I do feel like you can really start doing that before it's your official role, and try and feed into those discussions with your management and with the people who are in, in those positions within your business. And, hopefully, if you've got a good manager and good leadership, they'll be open to that. And, you know, you'll start finding out more about those challenges. So I think it's just about thinking about what that role requires and trying to do it almost, you know, already within your product management role, kind of really getting into the detail of the business, the challenges of the business, trying again to see different points of
1: view. Ultimately, your job when you're getting into leadership, you're driving work through others. So, I mean, I would be, be pretty hard pressed if you are an individual contributor and you haven't, I was like, what, how I talk to my team when I'm doing, I say their developmental conversations and things like that. I'm like, think of the stories you want in your back pocket when you're interviewing for the next job you want. And, you know, when I think about that, if there's a, an IC that I was hiring for, say for a director of product role. And they didn't have an example, a really strong example of a way that they could actually drive work through, say, a team, a working group, or an individual. I would struggle whether they might be right for leadership, in all honesty. The kind of measure of success kind of changes a little bit when you actually shift into the kind of like leadership role. Because it's like, okay, you know, when I see someone else being really successful and hitting their outcomes, I'm like, deep down inside behind the scenes, you're like, yay, I contributed to that. And you're really kind of trying to build that person up. So if you can't let go of the work, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be real hard. So I'd be focusing on mentoring opportunities. I would be focusing on projects that you can lead from behind, not from the front, and be comfortable not taking the credit for a lot of things. But I think you balance that with knowing who the influencers are in that next level of role, right? Because the people that are, they know your impact. Yeah, so I mean let the team take the credit, get the stories and all the rest of it, but still kind of like help build those relationships with that next level up, say influencing group, like find even one ally that you know is going to be your sponsor. They talk a lot about, especially actually women, (laughs) they'd say women are over mentored and under sponsored. And I don't want to play gender roles or anything, but a lot of times guys might have more confidence to be like, Hey, can you tell this person I'm awesome? You know, like, and, Go to bat for me. Put your reputation on the line. And women have a tendency not to do that. It's not just a women thing. <laughs> women probably need to do it way more. Obviously, we want to do the mentoring, but find also your sponsors, the influential sponsors that can help drive your career. I've been super lucky in my career to have those people. I wouldn't even be here if I didn't have that. People that believed in me that had those influential and kind of good reputations, right? So, yeah, that would be my advice. <laughs>
3: It was really helpful for me to anchor on a way of approaching recruiting and then honing that over time. So I read a couple of books and and kind of anchored on a process and a set of questions that I use for the initial upfront screen and a deep dive interview and a process for everyone to go through. So worked on making the mechanism of it consistent, which allowed me and the other people in the process to be able to really easily compare folks because you knew that you were keeping constant the sets of questions and the process and then iterate on it over time, but not iterating on it like in the middle of one cycle with a candidate. So it allowed me to hone. You get really good after 150. 30 minute first time screens of knowing who's great if you're asking the same type of questions every time. And it sounds like excruciatingly boring when I say it that way, but it's actually fascinating to see how you ask the same questions and people come up with totally different answers. And then you start to see patterns about how people who answered this question, I ended up hiring and they did great. So you start to see these patterns. So I would say lock in on a consistent approach and then hone it and practice it over time so that if you need to ramp up and all of a sudden hire four people immediately, you're not struggling with all the... Recruiting takes everybody's time. And if you all of a sudden have to go into go mode, it's not easy to do that if you don't have a well-established process to be able to lean on.
2: And finally, we'll leave you with some wise words about how to grow into a chief product officer role and the time and learning it takes to get there.
3: Knowing how to manage product managers and taking that role really seriously as a director. You know, if you're a director and you've got four to six product managers, that is incredibly good training for being a manager of directors and then a manager of VPs. So, knowing how to manage product managers ensuring that the quality, that you always have the highest quality, that they're moving quickly, that they're learning fast, that they're oriented on customer outcomes and business value. That's all the same stuff that you need later. And I find that folks want to move through that phase really fast because they're ambitious and they want to get to a product leadership role. Those years when you're in that director role, VP role, and you've got you know four to six teams Those are the years where you're going to learn your best habits in managing folks and managing the product management process. And I wish I would have known that so that I could have really intentionally developed those skills during that time and not just seen it as a time to try to get past, to move on up the path, but as like the time to learn the craft.
0: One of the things that I love about your podcast is that it really normalizes executives asking questions I think there's a kind of an aura of mystery and that suddenly you get a job title and you're supposed to know all the answers and I think it's so helpful to have a network of people that you can talk to absolutely but also publicly normalize the idea that we don't all know the answers to everything and actually the way we're going to achieve success is to be able to be open about that and learn from the people that are experts and, you know, and understand what expertise you bring and offer that out to other people. So I think that was super important to me. And it felt like that was the first step is to be really clear about what I know that I'm adding straight away and what I know that I need to work on and, and making a plan about how I'm going to get to the point where I'm a more kind of rounded CPO.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. I hope it inspires you to take the leap and become the top dog product person in your company, or, you know, maybe set that out in your career. Start learning now, start taking these steps and take the advice of Simone, Amy, and John to heart when you're really planning out your career. If you're interested in your product leader, we do run the CPO Accelerator three times per year, once in January, once in March, and once in September. So you can go to CPOaccelerator.com and apply there. You'll also see our FAQs have lots of information on who it's appropriate for and what you can expect from the classes. So I hope to have you in class, and stay tuned next week for another Dear Melissa.